You're listening to True Heart. Amy and Scott Mallon dive deep with celebrities, mavericks, visionaries, and real-life heroes to find out what sets their souls on fire. Here's Amy and Scott. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to True Heart. We have another great episode for you. Uh, Before we get into it, uh, you can subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And if you'd like to watch the show, you can always find us on YouTube and subscribe there. And if you love the show, please leave us a great review and a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And we want to tell you about something really cool that we just launched. We've teamed up with actor and recording artist Laura Morano, who has an awesome new Netflix movie, The Royal Treatment, coming out on January 20th. And our friends at Shine the Light On for the hashtag Art Heals campaign, which benefits the charity, The Sasha Project LA. Laura has designed a really cool limited edition apparel collection, and 100% of the net proceeds will help The Sasha Project LA provide art therapy for patients at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Amazing. You can get this amazing gear in time for Valentine's Day for you and the ones you love at shinethelighton.com slash Laura. That's shinethelighton.com slash Laura. And here she is to tell you a little bit more about it. Oh, hey there. What's this adorable hoodie you ask? Well, I have partnered with my friends at Shine the Light On to release a special limited edition apparel collection. And I have based the design on a phrase you guys have seen me say a lot, sending so much love. And we got options. We got a hat, we got a hoodie, we got a t-shirt. But here's the thing. We only made a limited amount and once they sell out, you won't be able to get them anywhere else. So go to shinethelighton.com slash Laura right away before they are all gone. Best part, 100% of the net proceeds go to a charity called the Sasha Project LA. This is my friend Sasha. She is 13 years old and has cerebral palsy. She likes art, fashion, and helping kids like her. So she created her own charity that provides art therapy to kids at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. So go to shinethelighton.com slash Laura right now before everything sells out. You'll be in fabulous gear and helping a great cause. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the topics of human trafficking and sexual abuse. I want to provide a trigger warning. So if anyone has experience as a survivor of these issues, and this conversation brings up feelings that you need help to process and deal with, there are resources available to you. The National Sexual Assault Hotline provides 24-7 confidential support. You can reach them at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. This is a story about how a dress has changed my life and tens of thousands of lives around the world. Human trafficking is absolutely happening in every country of the world. We're doing something that's a little bit silly to really fight something that's anything but silly. We couldn't believe everything people were doing in a dress. We were changing lives with a simple change of clothes. I'm seeing my idea outgrow me to the point that I am running to keep up with it, that I can't dream big enough and I'm inviting others to dream bigger with me. None of us choose where we're born, but we can choose what we do with our life. 
This is something we can absolutely solve in our lifetime. My name is Blythe Hill, and I'm the CEO and founder of Dressember Foundation. We're honored to welcome Blythe Hill to the show. Blythe Hill is the CEO and founder of the Dressember Foundation, an anti-trafficking nonprofit organization. Through their annual campaign, thousands of people across the world commit to wearing dresses or ties for the month of December as a way to raise awareness and funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, Dressember advocates have raised $15 million and resourced dozens of anti-trafficking programs across the U.S. and the world. Dressember has received press attention from the likes of Forbes, Glamour, InStyle, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, The Today Show, among others. In 2019, Blythe was named one of InStyle's 50 Badass Women, alongside powerhouse ladies like Michelle Obama, Christine Blasey Ford, Angela Davis, and Gail King. Let's get into it with Blythe. Blythe Hill, founder of Dressember Foundation. We are so honored to have you on the True Heart Podcast and to get to know you and learn more about the wonderful work and impact that your organization is making. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here and grateful for the chance to share about our work. Well, um, I wanted to start by saying I was so moved by your December documentary. And before we get into why, I want to touch on one of the things that I discovered we both have in common, which is our love for clever names. So I thought Quilty as Charge <laughs> and the Necklet were just brilliant ideas. Thank Scott you. can tell you uh, one of my favorite kind of hobbies is to come up with catchy names. And especially if I can work in a double entendre, then holy smokes, I'm really excited. So um, I'm it's also true. like- She gets her hooks into a saying. She drives it into the ground. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like the catchphrase queen. <laughs> but and... they're great. They're usually really good. Thank you. The and first day. It was, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess after you've heard them a thousand times, <laughs> it gets a little much. Some of my signature sayings are starting to catch on with Scott and our children, um, which makes my day. But I'm just curious, Blythe, with your love of puns, how is that bringing joy into your life um, these days? Oh, that's such a fun question. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm someone who needs a creative outlet. And so whether it's crafting or baking, um, language, I think is just such a, a great opportunity to be creative. And I love that language is this like dynamic, ever changing thing, like, you know, that we're adding new words to the dictionary literally every year. Um, so anytime I can sort of like workshop puns at home, much like you're doing, um, it's just fun for me. It's just delightful because sometimes it can feel like there's there's nothing left or like, you know, everything's already been done. Um, but I think puns and language are proof that like, no, there is a chance there, you know, there's a chance for newness and an opportunity to create something brand new. And that's a really exciting, energizing possibility. I love that. And after the last almost two years that we've had with the pandemic, I feel like you need to find the joy in these tiny moments. Like you got to take it wherever you can get it. So if it's a, if it's a pun that you're craving and that's working for you, that's beautiful. Definitely. 
Well, tell us about the Dresember Style Challenge and how that grew into the incredible nonprofit that you've started. Yeah. So Dresember is a month-long style challenge uh, where men and women take on the creative challenge of wearing either a dress or a tie every day during the month of December. So it started with dresses in December, Dressember, speaking of puns, um, and that expanded within a couple years to include ties. And it's very much like a choose your own adventure. Anyone can wear anything. You know, we have women wear ties. I wore a tie last year for the first time every day in December. Super fun. And we have um, men wearing dresses either because it's what they're more comfortable wearing or for sort of the like impact uh, the shock value, I guess, of, of getting donations. Um, so initially it was just a style challenge, just a thing, fun, quirky. I came up with while I was in college where I really was seeking a creative outlet in the midst of this like rigorous academic routine that I found myself locked into. And, um, after a couple years of it, just being this like fun, lighthearted challenge, I thought, um, you know, I wonder if there is potential for more here. Like people seem to really like this. This is growing beyond just my immediate circle. I had like my friends doing it, their friends doing it. Like, you know, it was moving beyond um, people who knew me personally and not a lot of my ideas get that far. And so I, I noticed like, okay, this one is moving. People like this. People are, are joining in. And so I wonder if there's a chance to add a layer here, like a, a layer of impact and a cause. And um, this was around 2011 that I was thinking this through. So I started in 2009 and then um, 2011, I started thinking about like what more it could be. And pretty much from 2005 on, like, so in 2005, I learned about the issue of human trafficking and was just stopped in my tracks. Like could not believe that labor trafficking is happening. Sex trafficking is happening. Couldn't believe that, you know, what some people call modern day slavery, like, Oh, this is, this is alive and well, this is a profitable, thriving criminal industry. Um, I felt this sense of like, I've got to do something about this, like in a way and to a degree that I had never felt before about any other issue. And, um, so hearing about it in 2005 as a college student, um, as much as I, as, as much passion as I felt and as much urgency as I felt, I also felt like, well, what, what can I possibly do about this? Like, you know, I'm not qualified. I don't have significant resources to give. Um, and so it felt very, I just felt this tension and frustration of feeling so passionate, but so powerless. And so then when December, my quirky style challenge was growing um, and I thought about aligning it with a cause, it was a very easy decision for me to, to choose to align it with anti-human trafficking because I had been so passionate about it for so many years and looking for a way to take tangible action. And um, so in 2013, I aligned December with the cause of anti-trafficking and hoped, you know, like the goal that I set felt huge. It felt ambitious. Um, but I said, we're going to try to raise $25,000 and, um, you know, let's see, let's go. And, um, again, thought like, 
this could totally flop. I could end up looking really dumb. Um, but I kept coming back to like, well, this could be my opportunity to engage in this work. And if I can help even one person, then it's worth looking like a fool to a thousand people. And so we went for it and ended up hitting my crazy huge goal on day three and then proceeded to raise $165,000 in that month. And it was after that, that December as an organization was born where I was like, oh, this is a much better idea than I realized. And I need to set this up for success and took steps to file for 501c3 and slowly build an organization. And really it's snowballed since then because we, we raised 465,000 the second year and then 925 and then a million five. And long story short, um, we are a few weeks from wrapping up the 2021 campaign. And to date, we have raised over $15 million towards anti-trafficking programs across the U.S. and across the world. That's unbelievable. And first of all, congratulations. Um, Incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a common theme that we've seen, uh, you know, some of the amazing people who've graced our show, and you certainly fall within this category. It's just so interesting, the idea of when you have when you have an idea, and you think, oh, you know, this is just something I'm kicking around in my head. And then you put it out there. And then you say, well, I want to make a change. This is something that really matters to me. And I think it matters to other people to go from just idea to execution and to be really successful with it is something that I think, I mean, beyond the fact that what you're doing is so inspirational and important and, you know, necessary, I think just the, the basic idea of you doing something as one person and the ripple effect it can have to thousands, tens of thousands, millions of other people, I think is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people out there who are listening to this, you know, everybody has ideas. Everybody thinks, oh, gosh, I wish I could do this. Here's another amazing example of somebody who just thought, I should, I could do this. And look at what you've done. I just, you know, I bow down to your perseverance and your creativity. and. You know, I, I just hope it inspires people to realize you can do great things too. Yeah, thank you. And and I hope it inspires people too. I think, um, yeah, ideas are really powerful things. And I always joke, like, I have a lot of bad ideas that never go anywhere. But <laughs> I think having ideas for the sake of ideas is um, a really life-giving and important thing to engage in. And I look back and I remember saying over and over those first few years, like I'm 51% excited and 49% terrified. Um, so I was like just enough more excitement than, than fear. Um, but I think a lot of times it's the fear that holds, it holds me back. It holds us as people back where, whether it's like the fear of failure, the fear of looking dumb, whatever it is. Um, in this case, I really had to decide, like, is this, is this important enough to risk my, my ego, my pride, my reputation, my um, comfort, even, um, like, I had to be willing to 
ask for a lot of help of people and and not really have anything to give them in return initially um it was like will you know will you be part of serving this mission with me and being ready to hear no if people just didn't have the time or the shared passion and so yeah i think we really at a certain point it's like you have to decide is this idea is it more important that i serve this idea than my own comfort and pride and all the other things that I mentioned. And if it is, then you have to go for it. Absolutely agree. And on a personal level, Blythe, I'm deeply grateful for the work that you and your team have been doing, you know, raising $15 million to fund vital anti-trafficking work around the world is absolutely incredible. Um, I was trafficked as a young woman and it took me over a decade to realize and accept that there was a point in my life when I was considered by someone to be their property and I was sold and forced to do horrible things that will be forever burned in my brain under the threat of violence, not just against me, but against two of the people that I loved more than anything in the universe. And, you know, I've done a lot of speaking on this issue and I'm always shocked and saddened that there's this shame and blame culture around uh, survivors of trafficking. And there's this dangerous misconception that this is somehow like an alternative lifestyle that people willingly sign up for which couldn't be farther from the truth. So I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's how my nightmare began. And I'm beyond blessed that I survived. And now I'm in a place on my journey of healing where my past doesn't get to ruin my present and destroy my future. And I can, you know, appreciate the lessons that I've learned from one of the most difficult experiences of my life and hopefully inspire and, and empower other people who've been in similar situations. So I'm sure through your amazing work, Blythe, you have so many stories of survivors who have touched your life. Um, I'm curious if there's one or two that stand out that you could share with us. Sure, yeah. Well, and thank you, Amy. I, I appreciate any time anytime someone shares even a piece of their story, it's just such a gift. So no matter how many times you've shared it, I just appreciate that you would share it um, now. Um, and yeah, survivors are some of the um, strongest people I've ever met. Um, the things that they've endured and overcome um, and, and, you know, everyone has a has a right to talk or not talk about their story in whatever way that they choose to and so like i said it's a gift when um when someone chooses to share their story and i can think of um so many people who've inspired me who have um lived experience in in this and um the ones that stand out in this moment, um, I can think of a, a girl that I met on a trip to India um, when I was in Mumbai, a, a girl who had been trafficked as a child um, and still was a child when I when I spoke to her. She was 14. And um, 
she had such fire. She was this fiery little 14 year old. Um, and she actually looked, I mean, she didn't even look 14. She looked nine or 10. Like she was this little, little fireball. Um, and we had a translator of course, but I, I remember hearing her story, her and her sister being trafficked and, um, I mean, really being in the wrong place at the wrong time on a train and, um, and then she was part of, I mean, so she was able to get out of the situation. And then she also um, worked with our, our partner in India to go back to where, like, she showed them, like, we need to go back because there are more girls where I was. And so she kind of led the um, the rescue operation in the brothel that she had been in. And the amount of, like gumption that that takes. I don't know if gumption's the right word, but it just comes to mind as like when I think of her just like, okay, it's not enough for me to be out of this horrible situation. Like we've got to go back. I'll take you back. Um, that strength of spirit to, to be like, I'll go back. Like it's worth going back, even though like this was horrible, this was traumatic, but I'm going to go back so that these girls can get out of it too. Um, so having this conversation with her and just being like floored, like knowing the details of this story and seeing again, her fire and her strength and telling her like this, you're right. Like this is awful. No one should have to go through this. It's wrong that this happened to you. And um, in all part, parts of the world, but in India, especially the like pervasiveness of misogyny and like valuing sons more than daughters and valuing different caste systems in different ways and, and kind of justifying exploiting people because of their gender or their rank in a caste system agreeing like and, and stating like okay all of these things are wrong and they're evil and then her saying like I agree with you you need to go out to the villages and tell tell them that because they're the ones who need to hear this and and feeling this like charge of like keep doing it and do more um i just like i continue to think about this girl almost as like this conscience you know of like okay first and foremost like we've got to stop this from happening to anyone like it should not be happening to anyone anywhere in the world. It's not okay. Um, but secondly, like if, or when it does happen, getting those people out of the situation and getting them the support and the resources they need to heal and move forward. I think, like you said, Amy, like no one's story should hinge on the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And, and it doesn't have to. And I've experienced that in my own life that like as insidious as sexual abuse can be, and I'm sure as trafficking can be, your story doesn't center on that terrible thing or series of terrible thing that's, things that's happened to you. It doesn't define the trajectory of your life. It doesn't define even your present. It doesn't even define your past ultimately. Like, And that's the sort of... Um, healing and restoration that's possible when we when we really wrap around people who've gone through this kind of trauma with adequate comprehensive care and services um uh thank you for sharing that story uh this little this girl sounds like a total hero 
Badass um, warrior. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tip of the hat, tip of the hat too, to you for using the word gumption. I'm always a fan of uh, <laughs> great words like that. So thank you. Um, here's my question. I was thinking about this while you were, you know, talking and in America, you know, I think Amy and I know a little bit about, more about this than the average person, but you know, you think about this stuff going on right here, you know, in our neighborhoods. And one of the things I've always thought of is, you know, these people are like cockroaches that just survive in the dark and they can survive because, and even thrive in some cir circumstances because they've managed to create a a web of darkness. And to clarify, we're talking about the traffickers, the yes. people doing this awful. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Uh, perpetuating this awful industry. Right. I think, you know, it's really important for people to understand. And maybe you could, I'm sure you could speak to this is, you know, number one, you know, how is this, how is this still a thing today? How is it like, you know, with modern, you know, we all like to think of ourselves as modern people and horrified that something like this could still exist and it's and it's happening you know it could be happening a mile or two miles or five miles from your house it could be happening next door you just don't even know it's happening so how can how can we start to shine more of a light on this and what what should people be on the lookout for you know because i really feel like the the answer one of the answers is just having like like a neighborhood watch kind of feel, you know, that people need to know about this number one and to be on the lookout, you know, what should they be looking out for to try and, you know, stop this or report it or, you know, cause I think that people a don't know what's really happening and B they don't know what to look for. Yeah. Such a great question. I think, um, well, I think back to something you said, Amy, that it, it, I think you said it took about 10 years for you to self-identify as a victim of trafficking. And that is from, from my experience what, and what I've heard, very common. It's very common that someone who's experienced trafficking will take years to, to self-identify and use that language. And maybe the language they use before that is domestic violence or, um, you know, I was in a bad relationship. And so the way we talk about trafficking as a society has a direct impact on how victims, how survivors are viewing their experience and their ability to self-identify and use the language for what happened to them. Um, so as long as we're perpetuating the narrative of like, well, trafficking is like taken or it's like, um, maybe it's not like taken, but it's primarily um immigrants or, you know, non-citizens, it's primarily um, kidnapping or abduction. Or yeah, if it is, if it is kids, people are starting to understand like, oh, it's happening in our backyard. So it's happening, it can happen to anyone, but then there's sort of the pendulum swings too far of like, oh, so my child is just at risk, just as at vulnerable to being trafficked as any other child. And so I need to be aware, you know, the, the heightened stranger danger, the abduction, the kidnapping, the locking in a basement or chaining, chaining up somewhere. When we have that narrative that's dominant of like when people think of trafficking, um, that is actually very harmful, I think, to the overall movement because statistics tell us, well, the majority of trafficking happens through relationship. You know, like a, 
a victim knows their trafficker, whether it's a family member or a friend or neighbor or um, classmate, they have a relationship with the person that is uh, or will uh, traffic them. And they are not, by and large, um, locked in captivity. Uh, may, I mean, maybe they are initially, but at a certain point, they are. And so then there's the stigma that we continue as a society to put on victims, which is, um, if you were free to go, why why did you stay? Why didn't you just leave? And we dramatically, it's, we shame victims. Um, and we also dramatically underestimate the strength of trauma bonds and the manipulation and coercion and threats that might be happening. Um, you know, if you if you have a child and your trafficker is threatening to do harm to your child, I mean, I'm a mother, I, I would do anything to protect my child. And so am I going to stay in a horrible situation if I think it's going to protect my child? Absolutely. Um, so we really, we really underestimate the strength of of the bonds that are there that are like invisible bonds, um, which I think are actually stronger than the like physical chains that we might be conjuring up. Um, and then we also overlook the fact that, um, again, the strength of the relationship that a person has to their trafficker, maybe they rely on them for basic needs. Maybe they're in a relationship with their trafficker. Maybe they think they love their trafficker or they're married to them or have a child with them. Like there's just so many layers of complexity. Um, and there's also, I mean, I, I love what you said about comparing traffickers to cockroaches. Cause I think, I mean, they are not, they're not brave. They're opportunists. And so they prey on the people who are most vulnerable, the, the low hanging fruit. It's a really crude expression, but, but runaway kids, foster kids, um, communities of color, low income communities. Um, they're preying on, um, kids and, adults who are in positions of existing vulnerability and then they can identify like well what is it that they need and i and i can i can give that to them as sort of a bait and switch to then lock them into this cycle of exploitation that i have in mind um exactly to what you're uh speaking about Blythe i've been doing a lot of research lately that there are these so-called orphanages that are anything but, and in communities where families cannot afford to feed themselves, there'll be traffickers that come and offer a hundred to two hundred dollars, which would be like you know the equivalent of a million dollars for these families, saying, "Hey, I'm going to give your child a better life. Here's some money for the rest of the family. They're going to be taken care of," and it's really all a front to abuse, neglect, and traffic these children. And in doing, you know, this research and kind of going down the rabbit hole online, I was seeing that, you know, a, a lot of people are saying, you know, beware of this kind of orphanage tourism um, that goes on where people say, hey, I want to visit these orphanages in third world countries. And a lot of times these kids are not orphans. They have families they were sold, um, you know, under this guise of a better life for the other family members. And now they're in the pipeline being trafficked. And it's so evil that these things are going on and 
these young kids are being stolen in this way, but we have to be alert about this and, and know that it's going on so that we're not inadvertently contributing to the problem. And we're not inadvertently funding this, this industry, which it sounds so awful calling it an industry, but as you know, you know, billions of dollars are being made every year through the sale of people. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with with all of that. And I think it it makes me think, I think back to the question of what can we do to prevent this? I think being aware, like you said, is so important. And I think um, in the same way that trafficking happens through relationship by and large, I think prevention also happens and intervention happens at its best relationship. So um, we're doing a series right now at Dressember that's things things survivors wish that you knew about trafficking. And we're working with a group of survivors through ECPAT. Um, and there's a quote that we got from one survivor that's, you know, I she said, I didn't need an elaborate rescue operation. What I needed was for the urgent care staff to notice that it wasn't normal for me to come in seven times in one month. And I needed my teacher to notice that I had gone from a straight A student to barely attending and failing the class. And I needed, um, I'm forgetting what else she said, but it was like all these examples of relationship and people in her life who could have noticed like, hey, something's wrong. Your behavior's different. Um, the way you're showing up is different or like in terms of like hospitalizations or ER staff, urgent care, like seeing some of these red flags and then being able to offer like ask questions and offer support directly to an individual. Um, I think, you know, you'll never regret calling the National Human Trafficking Hotline if you suspect something or see signs, but it's always going to be best coming from the person in crisis themselves. So if you're, if you're notice someone in your life is like, oh, suddenly this person is like just acting totally different. They have, I mean, it's like a number of compounding things that might be happening, right. With, with their behavior or their appearance or injuries, inexplicable injuries, or, um, you know, not, not, um, having total control over their time or money. Um, there's a whole list of them on, um, on our website, on Polaris's website, um, to look through. But if you're, if you, I think primarily looking for it in the people that you know, um, but then obviously keeping an eye out if you see like a strange situation when you're out. This Saves Lives is a ridiculously delicious food brand that gives back. Every single purchase sends life-saving food to a child in need. Co-founders Kristen Bell, Ryan Devlin, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel launched This Saves Lives with a simple motto, buy a bar, feed a child, we eat together. Now with more than just bars, their products contain premium ingredients and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and kosher dairy. Their unique line of kids' products all contain one full serving of fruits and vegetables and are safe for school. To buy their ridiculously delicious snacks, head on over to thissaveslives.com. Are you still wiping your butt with all that toilet paper you hoarded last year? How's that going for you? Let me introduce you to a new way to clean after you handle your business. Meet Hello Tushy. 
Tushy is the modern bidet that easily clips to any toilet and installs in just 10 minutes. Starting at just $99, Tushy sprays a precise stream of clean water and washes away all of that literal crap that toilet paper leaves behind. Upgrade your bathroom experience by going to hellotushy, T-U-S-H-Y dot com. That's hellotushy.com. Tushy saves the environment and reduces your carbon butt print. Tushy saves you money on toilet paper and Tushy saves your butt. Go to hellotushy, that's T-U-S-H-Y dot com. Stop wiping, start washing with Tushy. For over a decade, lifestyle brand Half United has been using fashion to feed people all over the world. To break the cycle of generational poverty, the community provides gainful employment to local artisans and vulnerable communities who create their handmade and sustainable products. For every Half United product purchase, seven meals are given to a child in need. Half United has donated over one million meals to date. Shop their beautiful jewelry, tees, handbags, and home accessories at halfunited.com and help fight global hunger. Say ciao to tradition and hello to your new favorite plant-based Italian bistro in Los Angeles, Brothers Meatballs. Brothers Meatballs was founded by brothers and food industry veterans, Mauro and Sergio Corbia, who hail from the Isle of Sardinia, Italy. When they joined forces with second generation Italian chef, Mark Middleman, their self-proclaimed brother from another mother, the concept for Brothers Meatballs was born. Moro was the founder and creator of Moro's Cafe inside Fred Siegel, a long-standing LA hotspot. Dissatisfied with the amount of plant-based dining options, reminiscent of the home-cooked meals their mother once made, the brothers were determined to create a menu so delicious it would appeal to herbivores and omnivores alike. Inspired by the food mama so lovingly prepared for Sunday suppers, these meatballs are a modern take on a family classic. All menu items are 100% plant-based and made with mama's secret ingredient, love. Angelinos can order lunch and dinner Wednesday through Sunday at brothersmeatballs.com. You probably saw this, um, Grey's Anatomy is one of my favorite shows, but last season they did a whole storyline on trafficking. And um, I, I called my friend Jason George, who's on the show. He plays Dr. Ben Warren um, after because I was so emotional that this massive show gave this important issue the airtime. And in the way that it was written, uh, Giacomo Giannotti, who, who played Dr. DeLuca, who was the one that spotted the red flags and warning signs and thought there was something off about his patient. And when everyone told him that he was crazy and it wasn't a dangerous situation, like he just did not give up on this girl in the show. And he kept pursuing it and he saved her. And it meant so much to me that we can bring this conversation into the spotlight where it belongs. And we can show people, you know, watching this popular like nighttime soap on ABC, like this is a real issue. Like lives are at stake. And you could be, as you, as you said, Blythe, you know, a doctor or a nurse in a hospital and someone can walk in like they did on this Grey's Anatomy episode and they could be a victim of trafficking. And because you're paying attention and you're really tuned into what's going on with them, you can spot those warning signs and you can save their life. And so I think it's about removing the stigma 
and not being afraid to have these tough conversations. Because as Scott said before, it's thriving in the darkness. But when we shine a massive spotlight on it, it means that people can't get away with doing this. You know, there, there's an opportunity for us to put an end to this in our lifetimes and to actually make the world a safer place for our children. And I, I think we can do it if people care enough to get involved. I think it, I think it boils down to, and this is, I think you guys have gotten to the heart of it, which is number one, people need to know this is happening. It's going on all around them all the time. So you need to know it's happening. And number two, you need to get out of your own head and your own sob story of your own life and, you know, ego and pay attention. Because one thing that I found is that people are um, blissfully oblivious most of the time about anything that's going on around them. I, I could tell you stories of things. It's crazy. Like people just don't notice stuff. And um, that's what this is about. I think the biggest takeaway for me is just pay attention, pay attention, and then have the guts to ask a question, you know, because you never know what the answer will be. And you never know what that might mean to the other person and that you might be changing someone's life or saving someone's life and the ripple effect that can have. So, you know, the, the amount, the things that you have done are extraordinary, but they're on a bigger scale. And I think, you know, the, for people listening, it's, it's, it's about that. Just pay attention. And on a one-on-one -on -one basis, you can have also have a dramatic impact. Even if you just say, even if you help one person, that's a life changing thing for you and for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, switching gears for a moment, Blythe, um, in the documentary, you open up and share a bit about your experience um, of being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And my heart is with you and I empathize as a fellow survivor of abuse as well. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, say that when you said, I am taking a stand for little Blythe, I just got chills up and down mm -hmm. my body because it really made me feel like Every time when I share my story, I'm healing little Amy's trauma. And there's so much power in that to be able to go back and say, it's not your fault. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, you, you are love. You are worthy. You are enough. Like none of this had anything to do with you. It's somebody else's trauma because hurt people hurt people is what I've discovered. But I'm wondering, because now you have this amazing, beautiful life and you're helping other people, what have been some of the tools in your toolbox on your journey of healing that have helped you? And obviously understanding that, you know, healing is not a one size fits all model, but perhaps there are things that you've done that might work for some of the people that are listening. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think for me, counseling and therapy have been super critical um, and in an ongoing capacity, really. I think when I when I started my therapy journey in my early 20s, I thought like, you know, OK, I'll be I'll be in here a few times. 
um, or even even a year or so um, to kind of work through this. And then I'll, I think when you're young, you you have this idea of like, and then, you know, then I'll be over it or then I'll, you know, just be able to move past this. And um, I think when you experience trauma, especially as a child, it just, um, it's formational in a really strange way and um, just has ripple effects throughout the rest of your life. And so I, I am totally, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm like a lifer with counseling. I think counseling is the best thing since, since sliced bread, you know, like um, anytime you can really investigate um, how you're feeling, how something that's happened in your life, good or bad has, has reverberated into past uh, memories. Um, There's just so many layers that um, a good counselor can, can kind of help excavate and and on that note like finding a good counselor is is important and i think doing it when you have enough health and energy to put in the investment cuz if you wait until you need a counselor it's so exhausting thinking about finding one that i think it's better to find one when you actually feel like you're in a good place and so um counseling relationship is like any relationship where some you're going to click with and some you might not. And so really finding, finding someone, um, that you, that you can connect with uh, and feel safe with is really important. And then, um, uh, also medication. I mean, for me personally, medication has been a really helpful tool in my toolbox as well. I kind of, um, I'm very open about my like lifetime journey with depression. Um, and so, um, at this point I'm, I'm pretty sure I have dysthymia, which is like a chronic low grade depression. And so having the medication and counseling piece, um, working in tandem have been really, uh, important. And, um, now being like 15 years into a counseling journey, um, with a few different counselors, I have been able to pick up different tools along the way that I just didn't have access to um, before that. Um, where you know, until until counseling or until some form of growth, we really are limited to the tools that are given to us from our parents or caregivers. And in my case, um, those are pretty limited resources, um, like in terms of like empathy and grief and self-care and access to processing negative emotions. So um, yeah, counseling like has been number one and I would, I'm just a huge advocate for it. And then there's small things like, you know, eating well or not small things. These are important things, but eating well and drinking plenty of water and um, trying to move my body every day. um, And and just being aware of my mindset on a daily basis. Those are all really important things that have been, that are helpful in my ongoing healing journey. Those are great uh, tips, Blythe. And Thank I'm you so for glad that you found something that works for you and have the tools to make every day a great day. And we always want people to know that that's accessible to everybody. You You get to wake up and make that choice to be, happy. And, you know, once you're able to, I think, manage the invisible wounds of your trauma, then you can get to the point where you realize, as I said earlier, that your past 
does not get to define your present and destroy your future. Um, and you don't have to give those events of the past, this weight and this power to them that becomes all consuming. Um, and I've struggled with depression as well as a result of my trauma. And, you know, I don't know if this was the case for you, Blythe, but we were actually talking about this on another um, episode about mental health recently that during, um, you know, COVID, when I didn't have some of my tools um, accessible to me, hot yoga um, being like one of my best tools that has really been transformative um, for my trauma issues. I just found myself like crying in the closet, you know, crying in the shower. Like I, I didn't want to upset, you know, our son who was already kind of stressed to the brink of what the pandemic had done, keeping him isolated from everyone in, in our lives. So I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'd done so much good work on myself for so many years and found this thing that brings me peace and calm and joy. And then in like, poof, it was gone. And I was obviously grateful that I was able to work from home and, and be safe and be healthy. But at the same time, I had to fall back on other creative ways to just manage my mental health um, and, and not kind of spiral. And from conversations I've had with lots of other, you know, friends of survivors of, of trauma, they also went through a, a similar thing. Um, and I think that's been tough on a lot of people uh, around the world over the last two years. Definitely. Yeah, it's been like the perfect storm of like, um, in a terrible way, a terrible, perfect storm. But I, I totally, I hear you. And um, I think a lot of us have had, it's, it's been an ongoing, you know, for two years now, just a really hard and sh honestly a shared trauma that we're all experiencing together in real time. Um, and finding, finding healthy ways to continue caring for ourselves and each other remains like, I think the, the biggest priority. Absolutely. Well, we want to close Blythe with um, a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, what do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. Um, this is something I've thought about over the last several years, and it's, it's interesting how it changes, you know, now being a parent, um, how Scott, to your point, like seeing, seeing the impact of something big has helped me realize the impact of, of the things that we overlook, you know, the, the small things and the, the actually like huge impact that we have on the immediate relationships in our lives. Um, I think right now I would say I want my legacy to be that I was someone who lived a life of love, who had a generous spirit and looked for ways to grow myself and the world around me. I think you can check all those things off on your list because you've you've already been doing it in such a beautiful and profound way. And 
I'm just so grateful that you joined us um, on the podcast today to share your inspiring story. And more than that, that you took this creative style challenge, which was just meant to be something fun, and you turned it into something with so much impact and meaning that is empowering hundreds of thousands of people around the world to join you every year and is touching the lives of millions of people. And I think that proves that we do all have the power to make a difference. And something that starts out as this small, fun idea can actually have a major impact. So thank you for being the change maker that you are, Blythe, and for putting your whole heart um, and soul into the Dresember movement. Well, thank you for, for having me and thanks for your kind words. I really appreciated our conversation. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the True Heart Podcast and a special shout out to today's inspiring guest, Life Hill from the Dresember Foundation. We're in awe of her incredible work. Um, and again, want to encourage everyone to just keep your eyes open and be aware it can save a life. Um, and thank you for um, having this conversation with us. It's a difficult uh, topic to discuss, but it's a necessary one that we all need to be educated on so we can finally put an end to human trafficking in our lifetime. Couldn't agree more. It's literally just be one of the lights, you know, help us shine the light on this stuff so that it can't continue to live in the darkness that it does. And we can suss out these cockroach cop cowards, you know, and expose them for what they are. And it just, it's gonna take all of us. We all just need to be aware and have the courage to just ask, you know, hey, are you okay? Um, thanks again for watching the show. If you uh, love the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a good review. Of course, you can always find us on wherever podcasts are found and subscribe. You can also find us on YouTube um, if you'd like to watch the show and subscribe there. And stay tuned. Next week, we have a very important episode with Zachary Darinowski talking about mental health. You don't want to miss it. Um, it's another conversation that we all need to be having now. So we're excited for you to check out that inspiring chat. Stay safe. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time.